Good morning. But I'm Reverend Paula Lewis. I'm the district superintendent. Uh, this has been a, a, a unique year. Would you agree with me? <laughs> and, uh, and, and so many churches have been in uh, different phases of being in-person worship. And so I'm, I am, I was just telling someone, my mom is now living with us and um, she is extremely susceptible. And so we have not been to, I did all my charge conferences, but we've not been to a lot of church services because of that. So uh, uh, this is like number three in, in quite some time. Uh, so I am really glad to be back with you. We're going to be in the book of Acts. If you will stand for the reading of God's word. Acts chapter 6 verses 1 through 7. In those days when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overloaded or overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, It would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the Word. This proposal pleased the whole group. And so they chose Stephen, uh, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. Also Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenius and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So the word of God spread and the number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. This is the word of God for the people of God and God's people say, thanks be to God. You may be seated. So I don't know about your life, uh, but my life uh, it tends to be pretty hectic with everything that I have going on and everything that's, that's on my plate. Um, I'm a, as I said, I'm a district superintendent now, and um, so I talked to somebody this morning, uh, Miss Judy, and she said, I, I've been here for about three years, and, and uh, I, I don't really know a lot about the structure. So if you're one of those people that don't know a lot about the structure, a district superintendent uh, has, I have, uh, about 99 churches and 74 pastors that I supervise and resource. And, and so it keeps me busier than I ever really imagined that it could. I'm all over the district all the time. I may not, even this past year through the pandemic, I might not have been in large gatherings but I was all over in meetings across the district. It, it just, we were on the road all the time. And then I'm a mother uh, of four children, but two of which are still at home and they're high schoolers. And some years back uh, when they were in middle school, I decided to homeschool. After all, I'm a certified teacher as well. So surely I can do that. And, and, and that was really good until they got into high school. And high school today is different from high school when I went to high school. I was just telling somebody, uh, 
that the math that they do, the algebra, I took algebra, right? I took two years of algebra in high school and a, and a quarter of a semester of it in college, but the algebra that they're doing is not the algebra that I did. It's just not the same. So I'm watching the videos learning as I'm trying to help them when they do their homework. It was, it's more difficult than I ever imagined that it could be with high schoolers. And then my wife. And anybody that's married knows that you have to make time for each other because a good marriage takes intentionality. And then recently, I have become a caregiver to my mom. She, she was always in and out of our house when something happened. When we lived here, she fell and uh, broke her hip, so she recovered at our house for, for quite some time. But now she's living with us, and um, she is getting weekly blood transfusions, just about it, and so there's a lot of help. I mean, there's a lot of work. It's very different when, when mom is living with you and you're the caregiver than when mom is coming to visit, and so it, it takes a lot to do everything for her as well, and then if all of that wasn't enough, I'm a third-year uh, doctoral student who will, in May, graduate. And that will be something that's off my plate and a, and, and a wonderful experience that I have. But it will make room for other things. So I, I honestly don't think that I could add one thing to my plate right now outside of my current responsibilities and be sane. I really don't. My kids would probably agree with me at home. <laughs> um, and, and I'm not the only one. I am sure every one of you could remove those things that I've just named and put your own things on your plate, and you would say your plate is full too. So I am, I am not the, the only person that is busy. I am not the only person that at times feels like uh, I'm out on an island all on my own, and I just simply cannot do it all by myself. At some point or another, most people know that feeling. Most people know how it feels to be as stretched as far as you possibly can go. And most people knows, know how it feels at least to want to say, if you haven't said, who do you think I am? I can't do all of this by myself, right? I, I say that to my kids sometimes. Who do you think I am, superwoman? I can't take care of this whole house by myself. As a matter of fact, while we're there, sometimes my kids, when I ask them to do something at home, they respond in the typical teenage fashion, right? Raise your hand if you have or have had teenagers. Yeah? So, so what is, their, what is their, their response typically when they're doing something and you ask them to do it? What do they typically do? Do I have to? Aw, right now? I can't get on. Now, now is different than when some of y'all had kids. Now they're playing live games that, that they say, if I get off now, they'll kick me off and I won't be able to get back in this game. They get punished for it. And they're, they're more afraid of being punished by a game than they are their parents sometimes. So, so that's their typical response. Now they get up and they do what I ask them to do. But when I've heard that enough, and you know, as a parent, you kind of get to that point and you're like, uh-uh, I'm not going to listen to this again. I'll say to them, as a member of this family, I expect you, not I want you, but I expect you to contribute to the overall well-being of this family in some way. You have a role to play, and you must play it. You have to help out in the family. And, 
you know, they'll get up and they'll do what I ask them to do, begrudgingly sometimes, but they'll do it. But that's what our scripture this morning is talking about. But rather than in a family unit at home, it's talking about within the family unit of the church. Everyone has a role to play in the family of God. And so I I always like giving a little background in case you don't know a lot about the book that we're in. And so uh, the writer of, of, of Acts is Luke. And he's also the writer, of course, of the Gospel of Luke. He was a major helper with Paul as Paul went around and planted um, churches and encouraged uh, people to grow in Christ. He was a Gentile, which gives him uh, the only title, the title of the only Gentile writer in the whole New Testament, um, which is pretty unique for me, in my opinion. And then... There's the question about who Acts was written to. Well, in the beginning of Acts, we're told that Luke is writing to someone named Theophilus. Well, we don't really know who Theophilus was. There's really not a record of Theophilus. There are lots of theories. Two of the more prominent theories are that um, Theophilus wasn't really the person's name, that, that Luke gave this name to the person or people he was writing to, to to protect their safety during the persecution of the church. And, and so Theo in Theophilus means God and Philean means lo, um, love. So it would mean lover of God. Another suggestion is that, or theory, is that it was written to high Roman officials, pr- probably in court, um, as a defense for Paul in his trials because Luke calls Theophilus most excellent Theophilus and that's usually used for people in high standing in the government. But whoever it was written to, what the book of Acts does is it gives us a glimpse of the early church and it tells us uh, how the early church uh, operated, what the early church looked like and As a result, what we should look like, what our church should look like, and what we should look like as Christians. And so in our particular scripture this morning, uh, there's an issue arising among the, the church due to diverse cultures that are coming together in what is now a growing church. The Hellenistic widows, uh, this was the complaint, the Hellenistic widows were being neglected by the Hebrew Jews, uh, and in the Greek, it really, it says in the daily distribution. Um, Many versions add distribution of food, but it could also have been distribution of other kinds of aid um, to help them. And so they felt like they were being uh, neglected. So the Hellenists, Um, were Jews who at some point were pushed uh, and and removed and and settled in other parts of the country, of the land, uh, outside of Israel. Most of them were done that way by force, the diaspora. Uh, And and so this is, uh, now they're returning to Jerusalem, and this was particularly a common practice among widows because when a widow's when a a woman's husband died uh, the widow had no means of support 
And so if there were no fam, no other family around them and they still had family ties back in Jerusalem, widows would then move back to Jerusalem to be back around uh, their family for support. And so there was a huge influx of uh, Hellenistic Jewish widows coming into Jerusalem. So it was a new problem that they were facing as well in ministering to them. So these Hellenistic Jews, um, they had moved out and they had been living in these Greek-speaking lands and they had assimilated into their language, they had assimilated into their culture, and, and though they had Jewish roots, their language, barrier, their language differences and their culture differences presented a, a ministry barrier, right? I, I mean, try ministering, if you don't know how to speak Spanish, try ministering to someone who speaks Spanish. It's a little difficult, right? It could be done. We have lots of technology and we have translators now, but uh, it's a little difficult. It presents some challenges, and that's kind of where they were at the moment. Additionally, the early church adopted what looked like the, the common practice in Jerusalem for, um, for charity or helping the needy. And so what was happening in that day was if you were a resident of Jerusalem, then you would get enough money for 14 meals and then for, for the week. So every Friday, you would get enough money for 14 meals for the coming week. So you would get enough money for two meals a day. If you were a non-resident, which is probably what many of these um, Hellenistic widows were considered. Some of them might have been there long enough to be considered a, a resident, but many of them were probably still considered non-residents. Or if you were somebody that was just passing through town, you, would, um, you wouldn't get money, but you would get one meal a day. You'd be entitled to one meal a day of help. And so because of these diverse cultures coming together and the fact that the church, the early church, had not previously experienced diversity uh, at this scale or in this way, the, the church most likely just adapted uh, this procedure, this process that was already present without really thinking about the differences it would mean and how these new groups of Jewish widows would be treated. You know, we, we do that. You know, a problem arises in the church and we've had that problem before, right? And then you say, you think back to the past and you think, oh, I know how to solve that. This is what we, we had that problem one time. This is what we did then. But now we're, you know, years down the road or the circumstances are different and that problem or that solution doesn't fit all the parameters of the current problem. And so we try to apply that sometimes only to find out it's not really a good solution. And so that, that's where they were. They, um, they knew they needed uh, a charity system, uh, a, a way of uh, giving to the needy and helping the needy out. And so they adopted what was currently their practice in, that, in the society. And, and they just didn't put much thought into the fact that it would result in some imbalance, unfairness of, of uh, helping people in need. 
And, and so the, the um, Jews that had this complaint brought the complaint to the apostles because the apostles were charged with, um, with dealing with all of these issues and making sure everybody's needs were met. It was just kind of how the church started. Uh, you can see that very early in Acts 2 in the fellowship of believers where they sold everything and they shared it among each other. And the apostles were in charge of distributing all that. But, but now the church has grown. And, and so instead the apostles realize that they kind of have more on their plate than they can handle. And somebody else needs to step up and take over this so that they can focus on their primary ministry. And so instead of fixing the situation, they gave leadership guidance to it. And they, they, uh, they empowered the church, the people of the church, to solve their problem and then to implement the ministry that would be the solution. As eyewitnesses to the life, death, and resurrection of Christ, the apostles had a unique ministry. They were the only ones that, that, uh, that, that were eyewitnesses and that walked so closely with, with Christ. And so they had a unique calling to proclaim and to teach Christ. And so they knew that they needed to delegate. And so they, they, uh, it didn't mean that these, the people's needs were no longer um, worthy of their attention. No, and quite the opposite. It meant that they were so worthy of someone's attention that they needed someone who could give their full attention to it. And, and so um, they gathered the whole community together to discuss the issues about the ministry to the widows. And, and the apostles gave guidance, gave leadership, but left the decision up to the people. And so what they suggested was, among, among the community, pick seven men who are full of the Holy Spirit, you know, who are known in the community, who are upright, who are respected, and give them the responsibility of making sure the distribution is fair. And so they did. They chose seven Hellenistic Jews. Now, that's kind of important because uh, there were already... Um, Hebrew-speaking Jews that were that was handling the, the distribution of food. So instead of choosing more Hebrew-speaking Jews, they chose Hellenistic Jews. Well, one, it gave voice to the people who, uh, who were at a disadvantage. But two, it brought diversity into the leadership. And so, so they came together and they became the overseers of the distribution of need to, to the widows. And by doing this, this freed the apostles to focus on their unique roles of preaching and teaching Christ. And Luke said an amazing thing happened when the apostles realized that it wasn't their job to do all of the work, but just to give guidance to the other work. Their job was to preach and teach and then give guidance to the church for them to do ministry. Luke says the word of God spread and the number of disciples continued to grow dramatically, dramatically. Change is happening around us all the time. It, it, we can try to slow it down. We can try to resist it. We can try to fight it, but we just can't stop it. 
And with change comes difficulties, partly because some people embrace the change readily. And some people want to remain the same. As an itinerant pastor in the Methodist system, I have to experience change all the time. But I can tell you that it's not because I enjoy change, right? It's hard to uproot and to go to a new town and to settle down and be there for a little while and then to uproot and go to another town again. That's difficult. But when we all work together, everything falls into place. Additionally, another tension that change causes is even if everybody wanted to embrace the change, my idea of what it should look like and Ashley's idea of what it should look like is probably going to be a little different. And so there has to be a lot of give and take and discussion and what is the best for the kingdom. This is even more important today because I don't know if you've noticed or not, but in the last year, the church and the world in general has gone through tremendous change and we're still going through it. And so it's, it's important for us to embrace this change and to come together to figure out the solutions to it. Oftentimes, when change uh, happens and, and, and those difficulties arise, we tend to look at that as obstacles to doing the ministry that we feel we're called to do. I want to challenge you this morning not to see those difficulties that arise uh, in, in ministry and in working with each other and with other people as obstacles, but rather to see them as opportunities for everyone. Maybe it's not you this time. Maybe it's someone else who's not serving, but for everyone to have a chance to fulfill their call to serve the family of God. Alone, we can do very little by ourselves. But together, as the body of Christ, we can accomplish so much. And Jesus made it clear all throughout his ministry that everyone has a role and that everyone is called to serve. I mean, we can just look at a couple of examples. The feeding of the 5,000. What did Jesus say when it was time to feed them? The, the disciples said, we need to let them go so they can go home and get food. And Jesus said, what did he tell the disciples? Anybody know? He said, you feed them. You feed them. And they're standing out in the middle of nowhere with not much money and 5,000 people, and they're going, how are we going to feed them, right? And, and Jesus was letting them struggle through it. And he said, find the food. Just find food. And so they went out, and they found the food from, from among the, the people, and they brought it back. Then Jesus multiplied it, and he said, now you go out and feed them. You take this to them and distribute it. Then we have the sharing of the good news. Jesus didn't share the good news by himself. Uh, the, there was a point where he sent 70 of his disciples out to share the good news, right? And then he didn't send them alone to do ministry alone. He sent them in pairs, two by two, to go out. And they came back and they reported what happened. When he washed the disciples' feet, he didn't say, okay, I did ministry, y'all get up and leave. No, he said... I've now, you've seen what I've done. Get up and go and do likewise. 
in this story of uh, the parable of the sheep and the goat, where he separates the people um, as righteous or unrighteous, depending upon what they have, ha- how they have ministered to people. Those who didn't minister to the to those in need were the unrighteous, and those who did. And he said. What you've done unto the least of these, you've done to me. And what you did not do unto the least of these, you did not do to me. When he said that, he made it clear that everyone has the responsibility to be a part of the solution to the needs of suffering people. No one in the family of God is exempt from ministry. There's always a minister, something out there that God has specifically for you. And guess what? Only you can fill that. I can't fill it because I don't have Molly's gifting. I certainly couldn't stand up here and sing like this. I love to listen to Molly stand up here and sing, and she inspires me when she does. But I don't have that gift. And so I can't do Molly's job, but Molly can. And Molly might not can do mine. She might, I don't know, but she might not. So that's why it's important that we all come together and do ministry because alone, you leave it to one or you leave it to just a handful of leaders in the church and not very much is going to get accomplished. But when we all come together as the body of Christ, a beautiful thing in ministry begins to happen as God's power through the Holy Spirit begins to work and people and lives are changed and needs are met and disciples are developed and the word spreads. I used to um, do mission work. Many of you might remember um, our trip to Haiti. Some of the people at the church here went to Haiti with me. And I loved going to Haiti and ministering to and alongside uh, the Haitian people. Uh, they had this motto. Uh, it's a national motto for them. Many hands make the load lighter. And I want to just say, this is not just a saying for them. They truly meant it. When we would go, the last year we went, um, uh, that the, this church went with me, um, we were laying the foundation of a mission house and, and um, the village we were in was on a, a, the coast of a little small island and not far back from the, the village uh, was a, the start of a mountain. And so we needed rock in order to, to um, do the foundation and so we had to transport that rock from the mountain um, to where we were building the house. And you might see small children walking with handfuls of rocks because that was all they could carry. Or you might see adults, women and men both, with uh, big, big like bowls on top of their head filled with rocks and walking with these rocks on top of their heads. But whatever they did, some of them distributed water, whatever they did, they were all eager to figure out a way that they could all help and contribute. Now they didn't, it wasn't like everyone in the village stayed the whole time but they found something they could do even if it was for a short time and and did their part they understood that alone a few people can do very little but when everybody came together they could accomplish so much more so as we get ready to close this morning I want to invite you to ask God what is it in this church what is it in this community that breaks God's heart. The widows were breaking God's heart in Acts. 
And it may not be widows here. What, what could it be? Could it be people suffering from isolation? Could it be people suffering from depression or for, from an illness? Maybe there are people uh, that you know of who, due to this pandemic, have lost jobs or their job has been cut back tremendously and they're suffering financially. Uh, whatever that need is, look around and see what the greatest need around you is and ask, how can I be a part of the solution? What can you, as the body of Christ, as Tifton First United Methodist Church, do so that the word of God spreads and disciples are formed here and beyond? So I want to invite you, if you'll stand, uh, I want to invite you to come this morning. Uh, you can do it. You, you can go to God right where you are. You can go ahead and stand. You can go to God right where you are, or you can come down and use the altar, or you can even sit where you are uh, if you want to sit and, and pray to God. But whatever you do, will you go to God and will you ask him, what is it that is breaking his heart and how can you help meet that? Or maybe this morning it's you that has a need or you have a loved one that has a need that you need to bring before God because he's the only one that can give the hope that's needed. Whichever it is this morning, the invitation is open. Will you come before God this morning and, and bring your need or ask him, how can you meet a need today? Amen.